Jacob's Wells Media presents Strange Tales from Humble Life by John Ashworth Narrated by John McDonough Preface The reader may rest assured that the narratives contained in this volume are substantially true. To this many persons now living in the neighborhood can testify. The names mentioned are real names, both of persons and places. Some of them have again arisen from my connection with the chapel for the destitute. I am a tradesman and make no pretension to literary ability. I wish to acknowledge the goodness of God and to be very thankful that he condescends to use me in any way as a medium of good to others. And to him my prayer still is, Hold thou my right hand. John Ashworth, Broadfield, Rochdale, January 1st, 1866. Happy Ned. Every nation, every considerable town, and almost every village has one or more characters standing prominently out from all the rest, distinguished by some peculiarity of body or mind, by some remarkable power or quality, making itself seen or felt to scores, hundreds or thousands. The influence these conspicuous members of society exercise over the minds of others is often marvelous. Their image or actions, dwelling in the memory of the many, in some degree mold their thoughts to their own peculiar pattern, whether high or low, foolish or wise, good or evil. It has fallen to my lot to come in contact with many of these remarkable men in every stage and condition of life, and amongst them Edward Summers, or Happy Ned, occupies no mean place. My first interview with Ned was at Liverpool. He then gave me a shake of the hand which I did not soon forget. That firm grasp told of a big warm heart and unmistakable muscular power. About the middle height, sharp eye, bald head, clean-shaved, rather stout. His strong bones, broad shoulders, full chest, firm step, and vigor of mind marked him out as a champion for either right or wrong. In his younger days, when striking at the blacksmith's forge, with his rolled-up shirt-sleeves, his brawny arms, and his big red face smeared with soot and sweat, no one would have taken him for an angel, and he would have been a bold or foolish man that dared to pull Ned's ears. But very frequently his sleeves were so tattered and torn that there was not much left to roll up and his face was often black from other causes than smoke from the smith's fire. He was one of those deeply degraded and miserably low characters called pugilists, ready to fight any man his own weight, either Sunday or weekdays, and sometimes his bruised and battered features told that he had found clenched fists as strong as his own. 
so reckless was his conduct, that when his mother was dying, he left her bedside to go and fight a pitched battle, and strange to say, when he entered the ring, stripped and ready for the brutal and savage encounter, a young woman of the spectators of the fight fell in love with Ned, and when the battle was over, popped the question. Marriage soon followed, and the equally yoked couple went to live in lodgings, with just one halfpenny to begin the world with. Many of Ned's battles were fought on the Sunday, in Parliament fields, at one time the general place of resort for the roughs of Liverpool. After a victory, he would tie ribbons round his hat and march in triumph with his torn clothes, bloody face, and short pipe in his mouth, his wife by his side, and a bulldog at his heels. One of these battles was with a man who was afterwards hanged. Ned was a child left to himself, and allowed by his parents to roam in the streets or lanes at will, without any restraint. At twenty-two years of age he had never been in a place of worship, never in a Sunday or day school, never once on his knees in prayer, or ever taught to pray. He could not read or write one letter. He knew neither law nor gospel. He was a heathen in England, and an English heathen, and too many such are yet found amongst us. In the room at Fawcett's foundry, where Ned worked, there were several men of a very different character. There were religious men, and men who came to their work on a Monday morning clean, cheerful, and merry, instead of with parched throats, bloodshot eyes, ragged clothes, and sullen looks, like Ned and many others in the same workshop. The part of the room where these good men worked was called, in derision, the Amen Corner and Cuckoo Nest. One Monday morning, Ned heard these men telling what a glorious Sabbath day they had enjoyed at Stanhope Street Chapel and one of them, seeing poor Ned trying to cram the torn sleeve of his dirty shirt out of sight, spoke kindly to him, and entreated him to go with them to the chapel the following Sunday. With much persuasion he consented, but as Sunday drew near he wanted to run off his bargain, but to this they would not consent. Sunday came— Ned was called for, and went, for the first time, into a place of worship. Had he been a wild man from the backwoods of America, he could not have been more bewildered and astonished. To see a multitude of well-dressed people, all rising together to sing God's praises, mingling their voices in hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, and then bow in solemn prayer to the great Jehovah, was a sight so new to Ned that he seemed confounded and afraid. The whole service told powerfully on his ignorant but opening mind. 
the good men who had taken him to the church, saw the effects with joy, and earnestly requested him to attend again. On the Tuesday evening following, one of them persuaded Ned to go with him to the class meeting, and here he was greatly surprised to hear a smaller company of Christians singing, praying, and talking about the love of God and heavenly things, and making what he called little short speeches. It was at one of these meetings that Ned felt the full weight of his guilt and the sins of his past life, especially his secret sins, in all their horror, crowded round him. The very heavens seemed black over his head, the earth ready to open and swallow him up. He cried mightily to God for mercy. So ignorant was he that he thought if he could make a little short speech at the weeknight meeting like the others, he should be as happy as they were. He got one ready, but when the evening came, he had forgot it altogether. But that night was to Ned the night of nights. His cries for mercy were heard. God heard those cries and pardoned him all his sins. So great was his rapture that, with a thundering voice, he shouted out with all his might, my happy soul is free, for the Lord has pardoned me. Hallelujah to God and the Lamb. A person in the meeting was greatly offended at the noise Ned made, and asked him if he was sincere or if it was only sound. In his simplicity he thought she perhaps knew better than him, and that it might not be a real conversion, and for three days after he was more miserable than ever. But in his prayer to be truly saved, his joy again rushed back into his soul, and he again shouted loud as ever, Hallelujah to God and the Lamb! The woman that called Ned a sham afterward saw her mistake and very much regretted the expression. There is no doubt that the silent, orderly, sedate persons in some of our churches have their nerves terribly wrenched by the vociferous demonstrations of the more impulsive portion, and the impulsive are sometimes at a loss to understand the religion of the quiet and passive. It is well for both to have charity, for such contrasts ever were and ever will be. The sweet sound of the Aeolian harp, touched by the soft breath of the gentle breeze, gives the deepest rapture to some souls while others require the rougher and louder sounds of the trumpet's blast. But when heaven tunes the instruments, the harp and the trumpet will both answer their purpose, one for the social means, the drawing-room and the vestry, and the other for mountain-tops, highways and hedges. Ned's conversion amazed everybody who knew him. 
had the steam boiler in Fawcett's foundry blown up, or the tall chimney been blown down, surprise could not have been much greater. "'Challenge him to fight,' said one, "'and see where his religion will be in five minutes.' "'Saturday night will try him hard,' said another. "'He will find his thirst for rum and ale too strong for him.' "'Others mockingly said he begins to look very pale. "'Singing and praying does not suit his constitution.' Ned heard all, and God gave him grace to stand it all. Being a man of great energy, he took the best course for not only retaining his piety, but increasing it. Working for God keeps us near to God. He began to learn to read, write, attend prayer meetings, cottage services, and open-air preaching. He also learned many soul-stirring hymns. These he sang at the meetings with wonderful effect. He now became as bold a champion for his Redeemer as he before had been for Satan. He told his old companions what the Lord had done for him, and affectionately urged them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would pardon them every one and everybody in Liverpool, and make them all like him, happy night and day. It was this constant speaking of his happiness, his cheerful smiling face, and his hearty greeting of everybody, that got him the name of Happy Ned. Ned before, and Ned after his conversion, were astonishingly different characters. The bleared eye, bruised face, parched lips, dirty rags and tatters, gave place to cheerful smiles, a clean appearance, and a respectable attire. The dark, sullen, miserable soul, to joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. He had proved the Bible true, where it says, "'There is no peace to the wicked.' and he had also proved it true, where Christ says, My peace I give unto you, and no man ever did or ever will find true peace out of Christ. About five years after Ned's conversion, from some cause or other, all the hands in Fawcett's foundry turned out. This as all turnouts do, produced much suffering. Many of the hands had to seek employment in other places. A situation in the post office was offered Ned, but he refused, because they worked on the Sunday. For he said, Neither kings nor governments shall rob me of my blessed Sunday. Never, never. He then applied at the custom house, for a place vacant there. An official rather pompously inquired, "'What is your profession, my man?' Ned thought he was asking after his creed, or to what church he belonged, and caring little about creeds. He replied, "'I am a soldier in the army of the King of Kings, sir. Bless the Lord!' 
"'Begone, my man, begone,' was the sharp rejoinder. "'It was evident they misunderstood each other.' Several religious gentlemen, who had seen how well Ned was adapted for doing good amongst the most ignorant and degraded part of the community, urged him to devote all his time to that work, and now commenced his life as a town missionary. Let it not be thought that Ned, in his new sphere of labour, was going to live the life of a gentleman. The missionary, who conscientiously attends to his work, has more to depress his heart and disturb his mind than falls to the lot of most people. His love for dying souls, his deep desire to lead perishing sinners to Christ, absorbs every other feeling. He enters the dwellings of guilt and misery, dens of sin and sorrow, and rooms infected with pestilence. The sick and the dying are constantly before his eyes. He sees distress he cannot relieve, suffering he cannot alleviate, and pain he cannot assuage. Crowded gin shops and beer houses, licensed iniquity, counteract all his labors, and the ragged, miserable wives and children of the drunkard call for his daily sympathy. Hopeful cases of a change for the better often relapse in deeper degradation. Iniquity and every abomination meet him at every corner night and day, and he sees more of human depravity in one week than thousands of the easy and wealthy do in a whole lifetime. His motives are often questioned, and his best intentions misconstrued, and nothing but a feeling of duty, a burning desire to do good, and the love of God in his heart could possibly sustain him in his work. The town missionary indeed sows in tears, but he knows that if he be the instrument in God's hands of saving only one soul, that one soul is more valuable than the whole world and will be the crown of his rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven. Ned commenced his missionary labours amongst the scavengers, nightmen, chimney-sweepers, boxers, dog-fighters, and the lowest of all the low characters in the town. He rose early in the morning, being seldom in bed after five o'clock, and spent many of the first hours in prayer, that God would help him that day in the work he had to do, and make him the instrument of good to those that never heard the gospel. This morning preparation gave him love and boldness. He had great tact, and his frank, cheerful, straightforward way of speaking to the people soon made him a favorite with most of them. His labors were not confined to any particular district or locality. He went about doing good everywhere. In order to have greater power over the drunkard, he became a total abstainer himself, for he very properly said 
If I take drink myself, however little, my mouth is shut, and I have less power with the drunkard. It required strong resolution to give up his tobacco, for he delighted in his pipe, but he was determined to do it. At last, he said, I dropped smoking altogether for many reasons. One was because so many lads smoked, and because it had such a blackguard look with it. Kind and patient as he was with all the roughs that he laboured amongst, he did not escape misrepresentation, and sometimes actual violence. The gentleman under whose superintendence Ned was labouring were determined to make an example of one wicked person that had assaulted Ned and summoned him before the magistrates to answer for his conduct. When the case was called, the missionary and the assailant both stood up before the bench. "'What is your charge against this man, Mr. Summers? inquired the Justice of the Peace. "'No charge, your worship, no charge. God bless him.' Of course the assaulter was dismissed to his utter astonishment, but he afterwards became a great friend to Ned, and stood his part in a subsequent insult.' He gained the man by returning good for evil. Ned had many indications that his labours amongst the people were not in vain. One Saturday evening, when about one hundred and fifty persons were assembled at a church meeting, several of them spoke of their joy and peace through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. One man, a carter, with his clean white smock, stood up, but his emotion for a time choked his utterance. When able to speak, he said, I have much reason, my friends, to bless God for what he has done for me. I have been a wicked drunkard. I sold all the goods in the house for drink, and drove my poor old mother to the workhouse, having robbed her of everything. One day, miserable and burning with thirst, I stood at the passage leading to the house where I lodged, looking out for someone to lend me a penny or pay for a pint of beer. Happy Ned came past, and putting his hand on my shoulder, spoke to me the first words of sympathy that I ever remember. He asked me to go with him to a cottage prayer-meeting, and he would call for me. He called, and I went with him. At that meeting which Ned conducted, my sins against God and my drunken wicked conduct to my mother crushed me down to the earth. I wept and cried aloud for pardon and mercy. Soon after, God heard my cry and saved me. I gave up drinking, attended chapel, worked hard, and took a small house and furnished it, and then fetched my mother back from the workhouse, and my two young brothers from begging in the streets, and now we are all comfortable together, and happy Ned is the instrument of it all.
Many who have had wretched homes in the low part of Liverpool could, like the carter, tell what a blessing Ned had been to them. In most of our large towns there is a class of useful men that have been too little cared for. They are blown in the wind, battered in the rain, are exposed to all weathers, and work seven days to the week. They are required to be respectful and civil to everybody, however provoked, and if the biting frost and scorching sun gives them blooming noses, their character is discounted, for it is charged to John Barleycorn. They hold a responsible position, and as a rule are honest, respectable, and intelligent. Ned was often amongst these men, and it was thought advisable by the Liverpool Town Mission Committee, under whom he had laboured from the first, that he should devote the most of his time and labours for their special good, and from that time he was called the cabman's missionary. The cabman held and still hold the man who was doing all he could for their welfare, body and soul, in high esteem, and address him not as Ned, but as Mr. Summers. Fourteen hundred cabmen in Liverpool and neighbourhood meet their missionary with a smile, and woe be to that man that, in their presence, should dare to insult their kind friend. From the commencement of his labours he has stood beside two thousand three hundred deathbeds, and three hundred of these have been cabmen, some of whom are now in heaven. One of them, in his last moments, sent for his brother. On his arrival he requested that his head might be raised a little. He then beckoned his brother to come near him. Taking hold of his hands, with a low, feeble voice, he said, Dear brother, you see I am near the end of this life, but I am not afraid to die. My Saviour conquered death for me, and pardoned my sins, before I was laid on this sickbed, or I cannot tell what I must have done, for I have now enough to do to fight with pain of body and shortness of breath. It was dear Mr. Summers, or as he is truly called, Happy Ned, that led me to Jesus, Blessed man, blessed man. And now, dear brother, I want you to come to the same dear Jesus. He will save you, he will save you. I do want to meet you in heaven. Do come to Jesus, do come. Promise you will meet me in heaven. The deeply affected young man promised his dying brother that he would try to meet him in the skies. The soul of the cabman passed away to glory, leaving a smile on his pale face of death. 
In my last conversation with Mr. Summers, I asked him why he was called Happy Ned. He replied, Because I am always happy, always empty, always full, always longing, always filling, always happy, bless the Lord. Thousands in Liverpool have seen the happy man walking the streets and giving tracts, for he has given myriad of the silent messengers away, and thousands have seen him, winter and summer, standing near the large gas lamp, or in open places, singing Zion's songs, giving short, pointed addresses, or offering up prayers, always in earnest, and always persuasive and respectful. The witty and self-conceited have often tried to entangle him, but his invariable reply is, I never argue except against sin and the devil, that is all. No, no, never argue. If I won, I should be proud. If you won, you would be proud. Religion is never proud. Come to Jesus, brother, get your soul saved. That's the best argument. One scoffer tauntingly said to him, before a large gathering of people whom the missionary was addressing, Ned, you have made a good thing of your religion, old chap. Ned replied, Yes, lad, that is true. It brought me out of a lodging house into a back cellar, out of the back cellar into a back house, out of a back house into the front, cured me of broken flesh, black eyes, sore bones, cracked lips, and a parched throat, stripped me of dirty rags, and clothed me like a gentleman, put a watch in my fob and a bob in my pocket, made me love everybody, and the best of all, made my soul very happy here, and promises me heaven, there to dwell with Christ forever. Glory, glory, glory! And what it has done for me, it can do for you all. Glory, glory, praise the Lord! An intellectual skeptic, who had often tried his controversial powers with ministers and professors of religion, was passing by when Ned gave the above answer. On asking who the man was, and seeing him so evidently happy, he afterwards remarked that it did more towards his conversion to Christianity than all the arguments he had ever held. How true the words, No, without star or angel for their guide, who worship God shall find him. Humble love and not proud reason keeps the door of heaven. Love finds admission where proud science fails. It is now seventeen years since Sonners began his mission amongst the cabmen, and many of them will bless God in time and eternity that ever they knew him. 
there are converted men amongst them, and all are more thoughtful about divine things. They all sigh for the Sabbath. To use Sunner's own words, they literally groan for it. And professors of religion are the greatest hindrance to their obtaining it. If church and chapel-goers thought more about the fourth commandment, or cared as much for the souls of cabmen as their missionary does, Sunday cab hire would be almost unknown, and those worthy men enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath day. It is just approaching forty years since saving grace made Edward Summers happy. For thirty-four years he has been an abstainer from all intoxicating drink. He is highly esteemed by ministers of all denominations, well received in all circles, respected by all, rich and poor. A short time since a man of wealth and influence meeting him said, Good morning, Mr. Summers. How are you getting on now? Sonners replied, I have just been singing, sir. My God, I am thine. What a comfort divine. What a blessing to know that my Jesus is mine. In the heavenly Lamb, thrice blessed I am. And my heart, it does dance at the sound of his name. That is what I have been singing. Glory, glory! I wish every rich man in Liverpool was as happy as I am. Well may such a man be called Happy Ned.